so where if you guys have been with us as we worked our way all the way through Hosea, I invite you to open up in Hosea again. We're going to finish up Hosea tonight. And one of the things as we look at it, at, at this point in the book of Hosea, all the condemnation is finished. All the history lessons about their failures in the past has been concluded. And now we move into an encouragement to repent and receive grace. So in chapter 14 of Hosea, you have, in essence, God standing before an unfaithful wife, Israel, asking for her to come home. Now, Israel gets to make her choice, right? In the story, Gomer comes home. In the historical journal, Israel goes to captivity. It reminds me of, of Jesus when, when uh, Jesus was on trial and you have the, the uh, Sanhedrin and you have them uh, trying to make deals with the Romans and the Romans are saying, isn't this your king? And they say, we would not have this man to rule over us. So you have the call, the, the beckoning to repentance. And one of the beautiful things as we look at it, is it really shows us the character of God. Now, as a past, I've been I've been pastoring a long time, and <clears throat> I often get uh, questions about why is the God of the Old Testament so harsh, and uh, it kind of looks, kind of reads like God got saved in the New Testament. And uh, when we look at the text, what we discover is God hasn't changed at all. He hasn't changed. He is still willing to give grace and mercy. And we'll see that as a big part of his, uh, of his character as we go on. Uh, when we look at the first, we're going to look at this. There's only nine verses. Shouldn't take us very long. You guys will be out 30 minutes early tonight. So <laughs> you don't sound like you believe that. So as we, as we go, the first, um, Three verses are from Hosea. And basically Hosea is going to say, okay, guys, let's come back. And he's going to say, literally, he's going to say, here's the words. Here's the words. And it's like a model prayer of repentance that Hosea lays out for the nation. Then uh, verses four through eight, you have God's response. God's going to give his response uh, to Hosea's prayer. And then at the end, Hosea is going to give a, a summation of the, of the book and like, uh, the, the thing, the lesson we should take from, from what the Lord has, <coughs> what the Lord has laid out. So let's, well, I'm going to read all three, the first three verses of Hosea's response and we'll back up and take a look at it. It says, return, O Israel to the Lord, your God, for you have stumbled because of your iniquity. Take with you words and return to the Lord. Say to him, take away all iniquity, accept what is good, and we will pay with bulls the vows of our lips. Assyria will not save us. We will not ride on horses. We will say no more our God to the works of our hands in you, the orphan finds mercy. 
So this is Hosea basically spoon-feeding the words of repentance to the people of Israel. He's saying, here's what you need to do. And first he says, here's, you have a need to return. God does not say, go in there, grab Israel by the hair and drag her to safety. But he does say, go tell Israel to return. Call her. Return, O Israel, to the Lord your God. The character of God is to give mercy and grace through repentance. The character of God from Genesis to Revelation is to give mercy and grace through repentance. Deuteronomy 4, verse 30 and 31, Moses rehearsing the law. He says, when you are in tribulation and all these things come upon you in the latter days, you will return to the Lord your God and obey his verse, his voice. That's the word repentance. You will return to the Lord. We've talked about repentance, right? Repentance is a change of direction. Yes, we're recognizing I'm going the wrong way, right? I need to change my mind. I need to change my direction. The road I'm on does not, does not arrive where I'm trying to get to. So I want to be on a different road. So you will return to the Lord your God and obey his voice. For the Lord your God is a merciful God. He will not leave you or destroy you or forget the covenant with your fathers that he swore to them. One of the things you will see going through scripture is God's ability to give mercy, forgiveness, and grace to all who will ask. Now, everyone doesn't ask. But to those who do, he responds with mercy. He responds with grace. Deuteronomy chapter 30, toward the end of the book. Verse 1, it says, and when all these things come upon you, the blessing and the curse. You remember when uh, Moses did that, right? He told, he told the children of Israel, there's two paths you can walk. You guys remember? He, the blessing, that's walking in obedience to God, walking in the path of wisdom. Or the curse, rebellion against God, walking, walking not according to his word or his way. So he says in Deuteronomy 30, verse 1, the blessing and the curse I have set before you. And you call them to mind among the nations where the Lord has driven you. So now you've been cast out of the land. But there, when you're cast out of the land, you remember these. And verse 2, return to the Lord your God. That word return is the word for repentance. You return to the Lord your God, you and your children, and obey his voice and all that I command you today. And what is it that you're supposed to obey? Well, what's the command in Hosea 14.1? Return to the Lord. That's the command. Return to the Lord. Come back. You, you obey that which I command you today with all your heart, with all your soul. Then the Lord your God will restore your fortunes and have mercy and gather you again from all the peoples where the Lord your God has scattered you. Now we know that's going to happen twice. Okay, there's two times that's going to happen and 
and maybe we're still looking for the fulfillment of, of the second, but there's twice they're going to be sent into exile. And Jesus is going to talk about it. The prophets are going to talk about the calling back, right? The, the drawing back for the, for the people of God to return to him. Israel ceases to be a nation in 70 AD. And we can argue whether that occurred, that were they, whether they come back in 1948 or 1968 or 1972. There's, there's a lot of discussion about a lot of those things. But the point is, they've been scattered. And the Lord says, when you remember, just, just so we're aware, there are more Jews living in New York City than there are in Israel. When you remember from where you are scattered... And you return to the Lord your God and walk in obedience to what he says, you will have mercy. You remember Jesus told the story of those two guys praying in the temple. One was self-righteous and the other one recognized his need of a savior. So all he could say is, Lord, have mercy on me, a sinner. That is repentance. That's returning to the Lord God. Deuteronomy 30, verse 9 and 10 says, The Lord your God will make you abundantly prosperous in all the work of your hand, in the fruit of your womb, and in the fruit of your cattle, and the fruit of your ground, for the Lord will again take delight in prospering you as he took delight in your fathers. When you obey the voice of the Lord your God to keep his commandments and statutes written in the book of the law, when you turn to the Lord your God, with all your heart, with all your soul. Still today, when we talk about people coming to faith in Christ, it's not the magic words of the prayer that save you, is it? It's that you have to say a particular, you have to have a particular prayer that you say, or, or it's that you have to be baptized within a certain amount of time after you say it, you've said those particular words. No, it's when you come honestly, right? That's something that happens from, we, we describe it as something that happens from within your heart, right? With all your heart, with all your soul, with your being, Lord, save me. Lord, have mercy on me, a sinner. That's why Paul would write in Romans that everyone who calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. God doesn't turn you away. When we come in that in that way, with that attitude. First Samuel 7, 3. And Samuel said to all the house of Israel, If you are returning to the Lord with all your heart, then put away the foreign gods, the Ashtoreth, from among you. Direct your heart to the Lord and serve him only, and he will deliver you out of the hands of the Philistines. Return to the Lord. Is it possible for you to return to the Lord while holding on to an idol? I don't know. Is it possible for you to stay married with a girlfriend? No, right? So when we return to the Lord, the point is we let go of all that other stuff. Uh, the, the symbols of our unfaithfulness, whatever they are. You know, today maybe it's a little more difficult for us to understand the picture of idolatry. You know, I think it's more than just, you know, having things that you love. It's, it, was, it was looking to something other than God for, for everything. That the thing that completes you, that made you whole, that made you everything you want to be was not the Lord. It was 
Baal, Ashereth, whatever. The gold that you had buried under your, under your cabin, whatever the case may be. And so in Samuel, Samuel says, return to the Lord with all your heart. Change your direction. Second Chronicles 15, verses 3 through 4 say this. For a long time, Israel was without the true God and without a teaching priest and without law. But when in their distress they turned to the Lord, the God of Israel, and sought him, he was found by them. When they returned to the Lord. One of my favorite stories, and we of course talked about it here when we went through Jeremiah, if you remember. There's a, an idea, a concept, that Jeremiah's father, his name was Hananiah, if I remember right. And um, when... Josiah finds the book of the law when Josiah is a child and he finds the book of the law. There's a fellow who shows him that book of the law. His name is Hananiah. And there are some people who think that that's why, you know, when Josiah died, Jeremiah sang at his funeral. Jeremiah knew Josiah. And so you had maybe this tie between Jeremiah's father, who was the one who brought to Josiah, look, look. And they, when he read it, he said, oh, we need to return to the Lord. We're so far. We've moved so far from him. And when they return to the Lord, the Lord is there, right? Those things, they haven't changed. Isaiah 55, verse 6 and 7 says, seek the Lord while he may be found. Call upon him while he is near. Let the wicked forsake his way and the unrighteous man his thoughts. Let him return to the Lord. That's the same Hebrew word. Repent. Let him return to the Lord and he will have compassion on him. To our God, for he will abundantly pardon now, Jesus didn't say, when he talked about the tax collector, he didn't say, oh, that guy's not really guilty. He didn't say that, did he? He didn't say, oh, that guy really didn't do it. He's not as bad as he thinks he is. Jesus didn't say that. He said, that man left justified. That one left justified because he could acknowledge who he was and he was trying in whatever way in the cry of his heart to return to God. Lord, have mercy on me, a sinner. Joel, where we'll be next week, Joel chapter 2, beginning in verse 12, he says, Yet even now declares the Lord, return to me with all your heart, with fasting, with weeping, with mourning. Rend your heart, not your garments. Even in their repentance, there became uh, a ritual. So the ritual of repentance was, I'll tear my garments and I'll pour ashes on my head. And I'll, and I'll sit in an ash heap. Now, sometimes that was a, a truth that came out of their heart. And sometimes it was, hey, this is what the last guy did. And so this is what I'm going to do. And it was just ritual, not reality. So he says, rend your heart, not your garment. It's not the tearing of your clothes that was a symbol of your repentance. It was the sorrow in your heart crying out to God, have mercy. I'm guilty, Lord. Have mercy on me. Return to the Lord your God, for he is gracious and merciful, slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love, and he relents over disaster. 
In Ezekiel, the Lord said it like this, I have no glory in the destruction of the wicked, but that the wicked would turn and live. That's the merciful, graceful heart of God. Now, just because God is merciful and graceful does not mean he will not judge. Right? Everybody's read Revelation? In particular, Revelation chapter 19. So we know that uh, there will be a judgment. The Bible says in John chapter 5, all judgment has been committed to the Son. That the Father has given the Son all judgment over the living and the dead. When Jesus was judged before the Sanhedrin, he said, you will see the Son of Man coming in the clouds. A statement of, you get to sit in judgment over me here, but... It's not going to be that long from now when I will sit in judgment over you. So what is the point? We, we look at one, right? Hosea 14.1. Return, O Israel, to the Lord your God, because you have stumbled in your iniquity. You are fallen in your sin. So what do we, what do we need to do? Verse 2 tells us we need the removal of our iniquity. Take with you the words and return to the Lord and say to him, take away all iniquity. David would write, if I regard iniquity in my heart, you, Lord, do not hear me. If I hold on to my sin in my heart, there is a divide between me and the Lord. It is the iniquity. In Psalm 51, when David is faced with the sin of Bathsheba, listen to what he says in verse 6. Behold, you delight in truth in the inward being, in my inward parts. That was that tax collector that Jesus pointed to, saying, have mercy on me, a sinner. Was he being truthful? He's being truthful and honest. And so God is like, yes. Remove my iniquity. When Isaiah stands before the Lord in Isaiah chapter 6 and he says, Woe is me, I'm a man of unclean lips. Uh, I'm an unclean man standing before a holy God and I come from an unclean people. And the Lord purged his sin. We need the iniquity removed from us. And the only one that can do that is the Lord God Almighty. We need cleansed so we have to have that proper attitude and that proper attitude says lord take away all my iniquity if we confess our sin he is to forgive us our sin and cleanse us from all unrighteousness we, we want to be in that place, the removal of our iniquity, which we experience in Jesus Christ, right? The atonement of Jesus Christ uh, is his arm. The arm of God is not short to save. He is able to save to the uttermost. So can he cover, can he cleanse my iniquity? When Jesus touches me as a leper, does he become leprous or I become clean? That's right. He cleanses me. Take away my iniquity. And then the second phrase, accept what is good. Now, one of the challenges of the book of Hosea, and if you do a little deeper study, you'll discover it on your own. 
Uh, Hebrew to English translations are oftentimes difficult to get the idea across what's being said. What does he mean at accept what is good? In the heart of the people, they had devalued God. You're not good. You're not able. You're not what I need. I need the other lords, the other Baals, the other Asherahs. I need the other gods. And so he's saying, first, we ask for our iniquity to be taken away, and then we accept what is good. God is good. He is good. Anytime I think he is not good, it is my understanding that is twisted, not God's character. God's character is good, holy, just. He's right. Isn't that what Job learned? I mean, you and I, we read the book of Job and we still have a problem with it, don't we? If we're honest, we're like, I don't really understand what's going on here. But if you get to the end of the book of Job, God says, I'm good. I'm right, Job. You're going to be okay. And Job all the way through the book is saying, when I get to stand before God, I got some questions for him. And then when he stands before God, do you remember what he does? He has no questions. Now that's Job's experience right? But I can learn from Job's experience. Even in the times that I don't understand what God's doing, I know he's good. The Bible would declare to me in Romans eight twenty eight that that God is working things together for my good and his glory. And I know my understanding is not always spot on. Anybody ever had a misunderstanding? My understanding, so I'm going to hold fast that God is good. Accept what is good, and we will pay with bulls the vows of our lip. He's talking about adoration and praise. It's like our praise will become our sacrifice. It's not about bringing bulls and goats and the blood of bulls and goats to make us right. It's recognizing he's forgiven my sins. He is good. And then the praise of my lips becomes my bulls. The cry of my heart becomes the, the thing which is satisfying the Lord God almighty the praise becomes the vows of my lips. I will pay with the bulls. My, my words, I will sing my adoration for the Lord. What do you think that uh, the blind man when he was healed was doing? Or the lame man when he was walking? Or the leper when he was cleansed? What was the next thing that came out of his lips? If it wasn't a sacrifice of praise for the God who had touched him in his uncleanness and made him whole so this is what Hosea is challenging and then he goes on and says now Assyria is not going to save us now you and I from history know Assyria is going to enslave them not save them enslave them so it's making that that um, proclamation Assyria is not the savior I know, maybe I'll upset some of you. Trump is not your savior. Jesus is. And I love DeSantis, but he's not your savior either. Jesus is. It's, it is, none of these others can save us. 
Assyria cannot save us. And then he goes on, and we will not ride on horses. It's not our own strength. It's not our own power. You remember when the Lord said, don't pile up for yourself horses. And don't start counting all your gold and silver. Why? Because you're going to think your gold and silver is going to save you. Or you're going to think the might of your horses is going to save you. There's only one Savior. Yahweh said, he is my Savior. There's only one who can save. So he says, we will not ride on horses and we will say no more. No longer will we look for salvation anywhere else but to the Lord God Almighty. That's what he's saying. No more will we say our God to the works of our hands. No more will we look at our idols and say, these are going to save me. But ultimately, Hosea says, what we need to recognize is in Yahweh, in God, the orphan finds mercy. Now, in the book of Hosea, this is an interesting phrase because one of Hosea's, one of Hosea's kids was Lo-Ami. So a lot of commentators basically will say that Hosea had three children. The first one was his. The next two were not his, of his three kids, because he names one no mercy and the other one not mine. And the end of the book of Hosea declares, in chapter 3, it declares that those who are not my people will become my people. The idea is the one I name not mine is going to become mine. In me, the Lord says, the orphan finds mercy. The orphan finds a father. Prior to this, the people would have declared Baal is their father. But now they have returned to the Lord, right? And in returning to the Lord, they recognize in God, the orphan will find his mercy. Now God responds in the next four verses. Let's read them uh, together and we'll back up. The response from the Lord, I will heal their apostasy. I will love them freely for my anger has turned from them. I will be like the dew to Israel. He shall blossom like the lily. He shall take root like the trees of Lebanon. His shoots shall spread out. His beauty shall be like the olive. His fragrance like Lebanon. They shall return and dwell beneath my shadow. They shall flourish like the grain. They shall blossom like the vine. Their fame shall be like the wine of Lebanon. O Ephraim, what have I to do with idols? It is I who answer and look after you. I am like an evergreen cypress. From me comes your fruit. So God in his response, he begins with a phrase, I will heal your apostasy. I'll take the apostasy away. Anybody ever fail God? Are you thankful that God is able to forgive and deliver us through our own failures? our own struggles. And so he says, I will heal their apostasy. And his love is big enough, right? John three sixteen. for God so loved what? I will love them freely. The grace of God. Is there some reason God loves Israel? Israel's extra pretty. Israel's extra faithful. Israel's extra rich. 
No, the Bible says it was none of these things. God just decided to love them. God chose them. Much like a, a husband chooses his wife. And so he, he's declaring, I will love them freely. Why? For my anger has turned from them. Why has God's anger turned? Because they have returned. They got off the road of destruction. And they are returning to him. Just like Hosea saying to Gomer, Gomer, you can come home. You don't have to, you don't have to stay here. You don't have to live like this anymore. You can come home. So the Lord is saying the same. His anger has turned. Why? Because have, reaching the place of forgiveness uh, turns God's anger. Being forgiven turns the anger. Refusing repentance, confession, forgiveness, that path only leads to judgment, right? <laughs> so we want to have that right answer. And then we look in verses 5 through 7, and there's several things. We're going to see he provides for us, he blesses us, he revives us, and you're going to hear this phrase over and over and over again, which is weird because you haven't heard it before in Hosea. He's going to talk about Lebanon over and over and over again, about special little blessings uh, about, about Lebanon. And people have asked the questions, why is the Lord repeating Lebanon over and over and over again? What is this all about? Well, there's a lot of things Lebanon's famous for. Good wood, good cedar. Um, you'll see here uh, the fragrances that would come from Lebanon. There's one, other, there's one other export Lebanon gave to the children of Israel. Baal. So the place that brought to them Baal, he's saying when they return to the Lord, they'll find all the blessings they thought they were going to get from that false relationship, that unfaithful relationship with a false God. They'll find what they were looking for out of that in the Lord God Almighty. They'll find it with him. I will be like the dude to Israel, hit their provision. He shall blossom like a lily. He's going to bloom under God's care. He shall take root like the trees of Lebanon. You won't need to go to Lebanon. You'll take root right here. And then his shoots will spread out. His beauty will be like the olive and his fragrance like Lebanon. But you don't need to go to Lebanon to get the fragrance because it's right here. They shall return and dwell beneath my shadow. A picture again of the repentance and drawing near to the Lord. And they will flourish like the grain. They will blossom like the vine. And their fame shall be like the wine of Lebanon. All the things that they looked to Lebanon that drew them to Baal worship, they'll find not in the false worship of Baal, but in the true worship of God Almighty. They'll find it with him. And then in verse 8, they realize <clears throat> all, all we really need is to be with God and we'll have everything we need. He says, oh, Ephraim, what have I to do with idols? I, 
idols, God, it's, it's like a husband asking his wife, you can't have boyfriends. It's you and me till the wheels fall off, not, not you and me and everybody else. And so he's saying, I, I, I can't have anything to do with idols. It is I who answer and look after you. The Lord God saying, I'm the one who's taking care of you, not Baal. There's nobody at the end of that line. You pick up the phone and call Baal. Nobody's answering. The blessings you receive come from me. I am like an evergreen cypress. So as God does a tree uh, that, that God is using to define himself, is it ever dead? It's never gone. It's evergreen. It's always there. From me comes your fruit. The sustenance, everything you need, everything that we, that we long for, it comes from the Lord. I have been blessed to go lots of places, see lots of things, uh, have lots of stuff, and none of those things have satisfied me like the Lord. None of them. The Lord is the one who brings the fruit. Through him comes our understanding, our comprehension, everything that we need. And then in verse 9, Hosea, he, he gives us a summary. He gives us the, the lesson of the book of Hosea. Whoever is wise, let him understand these things. Whoever is discerning, let him know them. For the ways of the Lord are right, and the upright walk in them, but transgressors stumble in them. The way, there's two paths you can walk, the path of wisdom and the path of destruction. Jesus said, narrow is the way that leads to life, and few there are that find it. Broad is the path that leads to destruction, and many there are that go that way. We'll see Paul discuss how Jesus himself is a stumbling block. People trip over him. People trip over the character of God. People trip over the commands of God. People trip over who God is and, and what he's like, but the righteous, the upright, those who have come before the Lord, beat their breasts and said, Lord, have mercy on me. Uh, those who have received forgiveness and salvation, they're the upright. They're not upright because they're good. Do we all know that by now? We're not upright because we're good. Trust me, if you had somebody sitting on your shoulder follow you, all day, hearing every thought, every idle word you spoke, everything that went through your head, at the end of that day, the person's not going to declare you righteous. We are made righteous by the blood of Jesus Christ. Amen? We are made righteous by the sacrifice that he has given us. The key to the riddle of Hosea is not intelligence, it's submission. It's not about what you know, what you can do, what you can say. It's about humbling yourself before the Lord. And he will lift you up. So let us humble ourselves before the Lord. Amen?
Once you stand with me, let's pray. Father God, we thank you so much for who you are, Lord Jesus, what you have given us, what you have done for us, Lord, how you are moving in our midst, even today, Lord, that you are doing, working, accomplishing things in our life that we so desperately need. Lord, I pray that you would help us, Lord, help us to recognize that, Lord, we need an attitude that says, man, I am, I am, it's not about me. It's not about my giftings or my sufferings or my struggles, Lord. It's about you. My chief purpose is to glorify you and enjoy you. And I can find my satisfaction in life when I lay mine down. As if I try to pick it up, all I do is, is I see the water running through my fingers, the sands of time I can't hold on to. It's everything I try to work out ends up falling apart in the end. So we come humbly before our Lord God Almighty, not to uh, sell ourselves to you as the next greatest thing, but rather to fall before you in humility and ask for mercy. Lord God, have mercy on me, a sinner. Strengthen me to walk the path that you have called me to walk. Pour out your spirit in my life that I might walk in power and strength and that I might respond and react and be the man you're calling me to be through the trials that we face, that you would be glorified, God, that you would be magnified. So, God, I just want to honor you and glorify you. And I want to learn the lesson the wise have understood. They didn't understand it because they were better, smarter, more intelligent. They understood it because they had truth in their inward parts. And they declared, Lord, have mercy on me. And Lord, you have mercy on all who will ask. We give you praise and glory for the time we can spend with you. And we thank you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.